Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and I want to thank you for joining me for another uh, show this Thursday evening. Uh, we are, as uh, mentioned uh, all the time, we're live from um, 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, for those of you that uh, aren't able to tune in during the live broadcast, uh, of course, you can pick it up uh, a little bit later on uh, and you can hear the recorded version. All right, I want to uh, get things started here pretty quick. Uh, I'm going to be bringing out in just a moment the Coach's Corner panel. We're going to start off with that. And then a little bit later on, my... Uh, Good friend uh, Joshua Jacobs, the CEO of TGA Premier Sports, is going to be joining me on the second half, and we're going to talk a little bit about junior golf. Um, but uh, let me remind everybody, of course, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top-quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And, of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, Tips from top PGA and LPGA teach professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. And uh, just a, a quick program note, uh, next week, of course, is uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, there will not be a show next Thursday evening. And actually next Tuesday, uh, which I normally have the Women of Golf show, uh, we won't be doing that. So next week there will be no shows and then we'll be starting back up with uh, the Women of Golf on December 1st and then the 3rd uh, for Golf Talk Live. So we're going to take a week break to observe Thanksgiving and, and uh, get together with family and friends. So uh, no shows uh, for that week. All right, I'm going to bring up the panel here. Uh, first up, of course, is John Decker. He's a PJ instructor, motivational speaker. Uh, he's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor with Golf Tips Magazine. He was the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, he was also the prior head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf, uh, where he worked under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and the late Phil Rogers. And he's also an author of Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. Uh, also uh, joining on the panel tonight is Peter Egazarian. Uh, he's an owner and director of uh, performance uh, for uh, Northeast Performance Institute, excuse me, uh, owner and president of Northeast Golf Performance. Uh, he was the 2017 Northeastern New York PJ Player Development Award uh, recipient, and uh, he's also a TrackMan Master and Proponent Group member. Uh, also rounding out the panel is Pete Buchanan, uh, founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And uh, Pete's been teaching uh, this great game for 30-plus years. So guys, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, Ted. Thank Good you, Ted. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate a, a few flubs there in, in the introduction. Uh, tied up my tongue a little bit, but I uh, managed to get through it. 
you guys got a lot of accolades, so it's uh, it's tough to get through it some weeks, especially with three of you. Um, and just a quick uh, one other quick thing I just want to mention before we get started, guys, um, is uh, supposed to be joining us tonight was Clint Wright. Unfortunately, he had to bow out last minute, and uh, uh, he will be joining us uh, on his regular scheduled uh, date next month. But uh, he just wanted to send his backs. Um, all right, so I'm going to start with um, John, and I'm going to go actually with the order. Uh, that I introduced you through this. And we got an interesting discussion tonight, uh, and there's a couple of different things that we're going to cover. Um, but I want to just, uh, John, before I start, just tell a little bit about, um, sort of set the, the groundwork, if you will, for tonight's discussion. Um, earlier this week, Cindy and I interviewed a young lady. Uh, her name was Anna Bellix. Uh, she's the uh, player of the year and number one uh, player of the Volvic race for the card. Uh, she's also a winner on the Symmetra Tour. In fact, she just won her first event this year, uh, the 2020 Carolina Golf Classic. Uh, she recently said she plays by the numbers. In other words, stats help define her game. So what I'm going to ask each of you is, are there positives and or negatives to playing that way? Um, somebody that relies on the stats and numbers uh, and somebody that says that that kind of defines her game. Um, what are some of the positives and negatives, do you think, uh, or are there any? Well, first of all, Ted, thank you for having me on the show. And Peter and Pete, I look forward to being on with you as well. Um, I think that the, when it comes to the numbers, I think that, in my opinion, the numbers are more important while you're teaching and while you're looking at your progress. I mean, I, I'm I'm very big into measurements and and you know, uh, whether it's your handicap, whether it's your greens and regulation, fairways hit, whatever it is that um, we identify that you need to work on or your goal as a student. Uh, I think from the lesson standpoint, that is very, very helpful. I do not recommend that the average golfer focus on these things during their round of golf. For example, don't be on the fifth hole and look back and say, wow, I've only hit one green in regulation or I haven't hit any fairways. Because, you know, that's something that you should do after the round. And so um, I try I try to uh, focus, you know, I want all my students, uh, and I think it's, we will all agree, I think everyone on the panel, that you're going to do much better hitting a shot if you're focusing on the shot or your task at hand than if you're focusing on your stats. So um, it, I, can, I understand her comment, um, but if she's focusing on that during the round, in my opinion, that's n probably not the best use of her of her time, but the, who am I to say that, you know, uh, tell anyone, um, you know, at that level, uh, if it works for her, that's fine. I think for the average golfer that that is detrimental, but I do believe that when your round is over, whatever stats that you, and measurements that you're, you're um, observing and, and really focusing on, um, for me, I always believe in fairways, greens and regulation, putts, up and down percentage, bunker, up and down percentage, um, those are the, the, the big ones I look at. And then you can start getting into, if you really want to break it down into carry distance and driving distance and all those things, uh, that's where you get into the launch monitor work and stuff. So uh, stats are important. Uh, ultimately, though, the only stat that really matters is your score. And so if it helps you to shoot a lower score, I think it's great. But for the average golfer, focus on the shot at hand and, and look for the stats after the round. Great point, um, and and I think you're right. I think it depends on the individual player. Um, Peter, um, let me. And I'm going to uh, Peter Agazarian first. Um, I think really what she was really trying to define here um, 
was not so much that she was getting caught up in the numbers, but uh, she's a very analytical person. So for her, as an example, um, you know, if she typically uh, two putts on most greens uh, at, at worst and suddenly finds herself maybe three putting a couple of greens, she knows based on her memory of stats that she has put together over her season that there's an issue here. Uh, same thing with her chipping and pitching in different areas of her game. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, do you agree with, with what John said? Or, uh, again, this isn't something that, that's necessarily going to be applicable to every golfer, and I don't want to put everybody in the same box. Um, but for her, it seems to work. Uh, she's a very – in fact, she studies statistics uh, when uh, she was in school. So this is something that was um, you know, sort of ingrained in her psyche, if you will. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I definitely think every golfer is different, especially at that level, you know, and that's what she identifies with and that's what helps her perform well. And that's what, you know, she should embrace for her particular background, her education, her mindset. But it sounds like from what you're saying, Ted, and I I agree, you know, with a lot of what Jonathan's saying, but it sounds like to me that she's just using it as a guide to, you know, give attention where it needs to be given for a game. If something's needs development, then like you're saying, maybe the putts are off maybe she needs to work on her putting. But if it, if it helps her guide her decision-making uh, in round, you know, that level, you know, the choices you make <clears throat> on the golf course dictate the ability to execute shot X or Y. I mean, she could make a choice or anybody can make a choice while they're on the golf course that forces them to execute the chosen technique so perfectly to execute the chosen mm-hmm. shot that it becomes unrealistic to actually execute at that level. So if she's using the stats to, to help her make um, more effective choices for herself that are in line with, you know, her, her current ability and the current execution based on the stats, then, you know, that's, that's something that she's embraced and clearly it's helping her perform better and train better and prepare better. And, you know, like I said earlier, at that level, making choices on the golf course that are confident and in line with how you're executing is the most important piece. So for someone like her, someone that has that kind of analytical background, that little analytical mindset, I'm always there to embrace that, um, provide the tools necessary, and then, you know, help them understand how they can work within that framework better and more effectively. Also, uh, some great points, uh, Peter. Thank you, um, Peter. You know, let me let me just, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well. And the, and the reason why I'm uh, I'm sort of going to all three f- for this is because, uh, again, obviously we all have different opinions in that. Um, but you, you know, so far, John and Peter have have raised some very uh, interesting points, some similarities, but also some differences as well. Um, but let me just bring somebody else into this uh, for a second. And, you know, when you think of certain players like Jack Nicholas and uh, Annika Sorenstam as an example, um, they were very analytical players. Now, were they going over how many greens and regulations or how many putts? Uh, not necessarily, but they were certainly framing it in a different way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Jack Nicholas quite often said certain holes did not fit his eye. So when he stepped up to a hole, it, of course, his natural ball flight was a fade. If it didn't, you know, if he was not able to to execute the shots that typically, then he would not spend a lot of time uh, on that hole 
uh, you know, trying to force a birdie or force a, you know, an eagle on a longer hole, uh, he'd be happy just to get out of there with a the par uh, until he got to the next hole that sort of fit his eye. So I think really what she's saying is not so much is that she's going through all the stats, uh, you know, for every shot, but she's conscious of those stats. Uh, and, and as both of them pointed out, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, what do you think of, of what she's essentially saying is those stats, those numbers help her make informed decisions while she's on the golf course. And uh, as I mentioned uh, in, in, in bring her on board, if you will, uh, that she just won the uh, 2020 Carolina Golf Classic, which was just a couple of weeks ago, and it was her first pro event. What are your thoughts, Pete? Well, I totally agree with what she's doing. I just went through an exercise today where, you know, I'm one of the assistant coaches for the University of Missouri women's team, and we had Zoom meetings. So I had the Zoom meeting, and the coaches were with the players, but we went over their stats for the fall season. And it's really, really unique to see how those stats break down their game to where their strengths and weaknesses are and the types of, of, of shots and things that they have to work on. You know, from for example, from 120 to one, or 100 to 120, 120, 150, 150, 170 yards, what are their percentages of the greens hits with those lengths? And so the stats are very detailed, and, and they really open up a, a really good picture to where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and also how they match up against, you know, the rest of the conference that they're playing in because they all have the same stats they're putting out there. It's really a cool thing for them them to use and, and really neat for us to see how we can look at those individual stats from what they're doing in their overall game and then put forth a practice plan to get them to improve the areas where, they, where they're not as strong and continue to improve the ones that they are. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's a great tool for them to use and, you know, definitely looking at those stats and, and, you know, embracing what they tell them, but then most importantly, being able to go out and practice to take, you know, those areas that need some assistance and really work on them uh, to improve their overall score. So, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, to me, that's exactly what she's using it for. Um, and, you know, more power to her. It's working, obviously. And since you won a tournament. So, you know, I think the average golfer, you know, maybe doesn't have to get as detailed, but I still think keeping a track of, of some of the things that happen during the round can be very useful for them moving forward. Uh, also some great points as well. And, and I have to say this, um, you know, and somebody else that, that I probably should have added in there is Tiger Woods. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting that they're all uh, going by the numbers, but they're all very analytical in their approach. And if you look at the overall performance of, of the three, uh, you know, top professionals in their game, you know, Tiger, Jack, and Annika, um, that analytical approach uh, really put them at a level unlike anybody else. Now, there's obviously a lot of other folks that have won out on, on the PGA and LPGA Tour. However, um, their sort of a different approach to it put them, as I said, up to a, a different level. And it's going to be interesting to see if Anna uh, is going to be one of those players. Uh, is she going to be able to use those stats and that information uh, to elevate her game uh, and become a, a real champion? Um, or is she going to be somebody that's uh, you know, might win a few events here and there? It'd be interesting to see. And, and, and you know, if you look at and compare them to the other players out on tour – um, you know, we, other than Tiger, we really haven't seen anybody like Jack and we really haven't seen anybody like Annika, 
uh, you know, out on the women's tour. Um, so there is something to, to that style of play. It, it obviously serves them very well. And again, it's not for everybody, but it's going to be interesting to see if this young lady uh, is going to follow suit and, and end up rising to the top uh, as, as the others have. Um, John, I'm going to come back to you and we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, Anna a, a little bit more. Uh, she's originally from Slovenia, uh, resides in actually uh, North Carolina right now. Uh, but this is a different part. Uh, she was actually uh, a member of their national golf team in Slovenia. And other players uh, from uh, Korea, Sweden, Spain, Italy, and many other countries uh, also played on a national golf team. Uh, many of those players uh, went on to win professional events. Do you think the U.S. would benefit from creating a similar national golf program here? And if yes, why? And if not, why not? Or if no, why not? Excuse me. That was for John, sorry. Oh, John, I think you're... No, John's... I'm sorry. John, my apologies, John. You got dropped. <laughs> Can you hear me? John, you back? Yeah, I can now. Sorry, yeah, you were dropped. Did you hear the Did you hear the question? Or do yeah, I, 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 I heard. The, I heard the question. I was talking. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I could hear you fine. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting because with the Ryder Cup, um, you know, one of the things that the, they've always said is that the Europeans, you know, they gel together because they're they're they, these guys would tour is not as nice as the PGA tour. And so they would drive around together and they would stay in the same hotels and they would stay in the same houses. And they had this uh, camaraderie that uh, kind of lent itself to team atmosphere. And I think that that's, that's, uh, you know, I love that uh, about the, the European, um, you know, game and the European tour, I think is very fun to watch. I really enjoy watching European tour uh, players. Uh, I don't think it's conducive in the United States because of the size of the United States. I think that um, I, I just I would find it hard to to see uh, someone from F Florida and California and all the different parts. You know, all the great players come from all different parts of the country. I don't know if it would do as well. And now that we have the AJGA and all the tours that that the U.S. Kids tours, you know, and then the AJGA and and then they go up to college. I think college is the first time that really. Um, most uh, young Americans get that team atmosphere. I'm not saying there's anything that is wrong with that. I definitely think, in my opinion, um, the, the thing that's coming up now is, you know, the Olympics and having golf in the Olympics, I think is fantastic. I would love to see it get to where the Olympics um, in, in golf does not use the professionals um, and, and less the amateurs. Uh, play and and I think that that would that would kind of land in what you're talking about, um, but I understand why when they brought Olympic golf on, they wanted to make you know they wanted to to get it going and so bringing the PGA Tour players in, I can see why they they do that. But after a while, that's going to lose its luster, I think because I mean if Tiger does it, that's great, but it's going to lose its luster because it's, it's just going to end up being another event that they, that, you know, I don't need to watch the Olympics to watch these guys play against each other when, when I can watch them play on the PGA tour. So in my opinion, that, that would be great to see for amateur golf. And, and I think that that would, would, would be beneficial, but uh, I don't ever see it being uh, as predominant as it is in other countries in the United States. That's just my opinion. I may be wrong on that, but, but um, I think that, uh, 
I, I think there's enough outlets out there right now with the tours where they're getting that kind of exposure and they're groomed at such a young age now that, that most families are going to go that route. Um, some interesting points. Um, and, and I agree with, with it in part. Um, but Peter, I, I wonder though, if having a national golf team um, would benefit maybe more so some of those that typically don't have the same accessibility uh, in golf that others do, um, you know, giving junior players who typically can't play an opportunity. Um, one of the interesting things with, with speaking with, especially some of the young ladies uh, off of the Symmetra tour who have gone through, uh, and that's why I m- mentioned some of the other countries um, who have uh, played on a national golf team. Uh, it's essentially where they got their start um, in, in, in some sort of a, a, a higher caliber, if you will. Now, I know there's a lot of great junior programs, as John pointed out, and, and a lot of different programs in the U.S., but what do you think about having uh, a national uh, golf team or teams, even if you were to split it up, uh, here in the U.S.? Do you think it would be uh, conducive to golf in general, uh, or as John suggested, maybe because we have a lot of other options already that it may not necessarily be necessary um, but I think from an accessibility standpoint, it, it might work. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think not only should we have a national team, I think we should have state teams that are competitive on a regular basis um, within their region and then nationally, and then that can feed into, you know, potentially a, a, a United States national amateur team um, and maybe professional team. I mean, there's – really within the structure that is used internationally, the United States is really the only country not to really embrace that. I mean, our neighbors in Canada and Mexico both do it. Mm. <clears throat> the Canadian team's been very successful. The Europeans do it um, at every level. Um, they have, you know, varying levels of national team, whether it be youth or adult or amateur or professional um, and different levels within that. I mean, they fully embrace it Mm -hmm. and they feel as though they're providing a higher level of um, a more inclusive, uh, excuse me, competition. Mm -hmm. So why not? Why not? I mean, it's, I think everything that John mentioning is fantastic, but really once they're, you know, 18, you know, they get into college and even in the United States, if they don't have a well-guided development program, they get even lost a little bit in, in college. I mean, I see it, especially in New England, where, you know, the, even Division One in the Northeast in, this, in the mm-hmm. summer, if they don't have a, a very specific coach, they get lost in jobs and internships, and their game becomes a little bit of a secondary piece until about August. And then they get serious again and work on their game for three weeks, and then they get it back in shape. But if they had the ability to be within a team um, and train with other like-minded people uh, within their state, or if they happen to be performing at a really high level at the national level, uh, it could really change the the culture. And, and I mean, we do that. I mean, we have programming for mm. <clears throat> every level that they, they work with like-minded people and they train together. They, if they're not friends or already, they become friends, and it does, they don't have to be competitive. They're, you know, these are recreational players that all are like-minded in the sense that they want to improve, and they end mm-hmm. up learning a ton from each other just as much as 
the competitive players can learn from each other in a in a state a state team environment a, a, a region even if it's regionally within um, a state like when I was in Massachusetts every region had their own allied association so I was in the Berkshires um, which was very western rural Massachusetts and they had a Berkshire <clears throat> allied association I know there was a the, uh, near the Connecticut River Valley there was the Pioneer Valley Association around Worcester they had the Worcester Golf Association you know they had a North Shore Golf Allied Association they had a Greater Boston they had a South Shore and they had a Cape so here's here's a, a very small state relative to the others in the union that has six allied associations within the state that all compete very locally. And then they have teams that compete against each other on a state sense. And it's very well developed. I mean, the, the Berkshire allied association now is 86 years old. It's not like it's a new thing. And I think at some point, mm -hmm they embraced what other countries were doing and they've kept it going. So I mean, it's a long winded answer of absolutely. And <laughs> the, the more the merrier. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to agree with you on that, um, Peter and, and Pete, you know, I think one of the reasons why I do agree with that is I look at so many other sports um, and, you know, certainly we have our collegiate golf and not to take away from that. But I, I really like the idea of, of maybe, um, you know, a state by state, uh, having state uh, representation, playing with, you know, even regional within the states. And then you sort of the, the cream rises to the crop, uh, the top, excuse me. And then, you know, uh, maybe you could even somehow, uh, again, you know, as John pointed out earlier with the Olympics, um, you know, sort of take the, the, the best of the best from those various states, and then now they have an opportunity to make it to the national team, which would maybe represent in the Olympics or something. What do you think on on, on this? Do you agree, um, you know, more with John's idea that there there's so much product out there right now that a national golf team or national teams, if you will, um, may not necessarily be something that would be conducive here in the United States? Or are you, do you lean a little bit more with, with Peter's way of thinking, and that is you know, the more the merrier, and let's maybe even bring it to a regional or even a state level as well. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards what Peter was talking about. I, you know, when I grew up, we had the Kansas Amateur Junior Golf Association, and we had, you know, every club had their own team, and we traveled around in the summertime and played all the other teams. It was a great way to do it. And then they had a couple of uh, individual teams put together in there where you had to, two boys, two girls that played on a team together and, and whoever won the state got to go play in a national tournament. So, yeah, I'd, you know, things like that were, were a great, uh, great way to, as you said, players to bond together, hang out with each other, travel. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's something we should do, whether it's, you know, statewide, uh, regional-wide, Midwest, Northeast, you know, whatever you want to do, and, you know, definitely then have a, a national deal at the end. But, you know, as you said, all the other sports do it. I don't, I don't know why we couldn't, you know, put the same thing together. And as Peter was talking about, why not do it at all different levels? I mean, get a lot of people involved. Mm -hmm. I think it would be great to have all the different levels play. So, you know, you're not, uh, you're not singled out that, you know, only the best players from your state can do it. Well, let's have 
you know, let's break it down into categories. And then, you know, everybody in that sort of handicap range gets an opportunity to do it. So, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I, I, you know, I definitely like to see something like that happen. I, I think it would be beneficial to everybody. Well, and, and you know, I, I look at it. I, right. No, no, that's, <laughs> uh, that's no, that's great, Pete. Thanks. Um, you know, I, the way I look at it is this, and, and and I agree with a little of everything. I mean, I understand that you know the pros and cons to, to any you know of of our discussion, but the way I look at it is, you know, I, I equate you know being from the north. Of course, hockey was a big thing, and we had a variety of different levels. Obviously, you had you know a higher caliber uh, hockey team with with what we call rep hockey. Um, and then you had what you would call your house leagues, which was, you know, for those that maybe weren't quite as good, but uh, maybe didn't have the resources to get in um, and they could get in at more of an entry level. So, you know, and I know that there's a lot of great programs out there, um, John, but uh, the, the reason I bring this up is because, you know, as we all know, uh, golf is becoming more and more a global game. In fact, it's a, a global game now. And we've seen as an example um, particularly on the LPGA, there's been a, sort of a domination of sorts by international players. And, and I'm wondering, is it sort of a two-part question? Is it because more international players are simply just getting access to the U.S. Uh, golf market? Or is it because nationally they are taking a more direct route through their programs, which is helping to create maybe a higher caliber or higher level of player? Um, what about that, uh, that perspective? What do you think, John? Well, living in Florida, when I was teaching down at Grand Cypress, I mean, all of the elite players from all over the world. The, the thing about it is if you're really elite and you're in, in uh, Korea or you're in China or you're in um, uh, some of these other countries around the world, um, the government, they're going to promote you. They're going to push you to the top. They're going to get you the best coaches uh, whether the coaches come to you or whether they have them come to the United States. And I would see every year, I would see between 50 and a hundred people from different parts of the world who were between the ages of 13 and 20 come to train at Grand Cypress during the winter months. And, and they were all right. good and they were all elite. And many of them I see on television now, and many of them I never saw again. Uh, but but they were all really good. So in in a lot of those countries, they're looking. They'll take the uh, they'll take a hundred juniors, and they'll say those three right there, those are our best ones, and we're gonna get we're gonna do everything we can. They may not be looking to grow the game like I'm looking to grow the game as a PGA golf professional, where right. we're trying to get everyone involved. They're looking for people that are gonna win the Masters and win Olympic medals and. And, and that kind. So that's that. When you're looking at different countries, you got to realize that that's kind of a, a lot of their, uh, I guess, their mental uh, approach to what they're trying to do for the, for the game of golfers. They want to produce champions, and in the United States, mm -hmm. we want to produce champions as well. But I look at the PGA of America. We have the Junior League. I mean, uh, the the Junior League is a great way for kids to get started. We have so many great. Um, uh, ways that, that that young people can get into the game. And then you have the U.S. Kids Tour and you have the AJGA. And the reason I was a little bit hesitant on what you were saying is is because co I know what college coaches are looking for. They're looking for your AJGA mm -hmm. rankings. And if you go to a 15- or 16-year-old kid and say, well, you can go and play with this, you know, this group and you can go travel around, the college coaches, that's not going to catch their attention 
because they want to see you playing individually and they want to see how you're doing. And that's, and most kids who are really good want to play college golf, not all of them, but most of them do. So that was why I was leaning towards that. Now, as mm. far as the state levels goes, I have a team here in Ohio that I worked with since I've worked with for years and they won the state three years in a row, the women's team. And now they've competed in Pinehurst. Now they have it. So if you're the state champion from Ohio, you go to, you go to Pinehurst and you play the state champions from all the different states. And, and so I think it's a, I think that what you're talking about is, is a part of that. I think that from the high school levels and the college levels, you get that. Um, I just think that in the United States that I see the way kids train and the way kids want, and it's about, you know, golf is ultimately an individual sport. And so um, mm. that's what the college recruiters are looking for. And um, that's, that's really the, what I see. If you're looking to grow the game at the grassroots level and just get people involved, then I think what, the, what you're talking about is a great idea. But uh, I think there's a, a lot of programs out there that can, can do that without creating something new. That's just, again, my personal opinion. Yeah, there, there's really, um, you know, Peter, I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned, there's on, on both sides, I think there's some, some great arguments for both um, because there are a lot of great programs here in the United States. Obviously, um, you know, this is why so many um, players from all over the, the world want to come to the U.S. and compete on, on that higher level. That's why so many of them want to get into, you know, particularly uh, Division One, you know, colleges uh, and get on those, those golf teams because, you know, they're going to be competing with some of the best of the best. Um, so I see it that. But what's interesting, just going back to, to my last uh, thought here, and that was about, um, you know, seeing what's going on with the LPJ and, and obviously I'm including the Symmetra and, and you know, some of the other uh, lower-tiered uh, women's tours, um, you see a big surge of international players and particularly winners on that as opposed to uh, some of the U.S. players. But you don't see that same sort of dominance uh, is not as apparent uh, on the men's tour. Um, do you think there's a reason? Why do we, you know, we don't see as much dominance from international players on the men's tour um, as we do in the ladies' tours. Why do you think that might be? Uh, any thoughts on there, uh, Peter? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, honestly, that just the way the game is trained in the United States is just much different than the, the rest of the, the worst of the world. I mean, it, it, in my opinion, is a completely broken system that is based all on what John just said. Your AJBA ranking mm -hmm. is the most important thing you look at the rest of the world and, you know, I think the men's game is catching up as well as being very globally mm -hmm. coached and developed very differently. <clears throat> look at our neighbors to the North. You're from Canada. They've been using the yep. long-term development model that was derived originally by the Russians for their Olympic teams during, during Soviet, when it was, this, you know, during, um, when it was the USSR, during that period of time, they defected to Canada. They brought the system with them. Mm -hmm. They've been using that for their hockey teams for a very long time. Then they mm -hmm. they developed, you know, Henry Brunton and a group of, of golf people started instilling that in their golf, the national golf team. They've been using that for a long time. It's just in the past two years that the PGA has embraced the that long-term development model that was established a very long time ago by the Russians to employ into golf. So it, it's, 
in my opinion, a completely broken system that is based on the end result, performance only, and focuses nothing on long-term development and the well-being of the person. So I see too many people, especially at the college ranks, that hate golf. They see it as a job. They can't wait for it to be over. And you have 99.99% of them that are not going to play professionally. So why are you not Mm -hmm. developing the entire person, the entire child, and helping them appreciate the game of golf as an avenue and developing sound techniques, you're, you're developing athletes, you're developing people. You're not developing a product. You're not developing a mechanism to, to get where they want to go. It's not, it's, it's not an end game. It's a development piece. They see it as especially a lifetime endeavor. So I think it's the way the things have become especially at the youth end, is only, go, is only made for burnout. And when I'm working with younger yeah. players, you have to look at their goals. You have to look at their ability. You have to look at their support system. You have to look at what's going to be best for the child and the long-term enjoyment of their, their game. And there's plenty of when – I, when I was working with college players, you know, on the college team – I mean, this is Division Three level. Most of them couldn't wait for it to be over. And they look at me and they said, Coach, I've been playing competitive golf since I was seven years old. I cannot wait for mm-hmm. this to be over. And I don't think I'll play golf again. And that was half of them. Yeah. And that's Division Three level. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at and, – and these are all, you know, American kids that have been in a system where, you know, it, it's all about how many tournaments they could play what their priority status was, where they were on junior scoreboard, and that no one really cared about them. So, I mean, you're looking at international, especially youth development, including national teams, including much different structures as far as development goes, especially at the female side being the reason why it's it's so much more dominant. I mean, Mm-hmm. Yes, they might specialize, especially in the Asian countries. They specialize early. They want to get as much results right away, and then they usually can be done playing by the time they're 30, but that's their choice. I, I mean, it's but the other countries, they look at really a development period, and they take it from there. I mean, it's I, I think what we do is just completely broken. You know, that's a really interesting um thought uh, peter because you know there there is a, a lot of uh truth to what you said and and pete uh, i want to bring you in on this as well and the reason why i say this and and again i don't say this as a criticism and i know that it's just uh you know a, an open discussion but what i've noticed as well even though i i don't get involved in the, in the junior programs that I, I i deal in a different uh, market but um i know a lot of coaches that do and and you're exactly right one of the the things that we see happening, and this has really happened with a lot of even the international players coming over here to the United States and training here, um, is many of them get burned out, uh, Pete, at a very early age. Um, I mean, they're, they're pressured, they're pushed to, to essentially perform uh, in order to be able to play at a higher level. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I, I think, you know, whether you're Division One, Two, Three, you know, collegiately, um, you know, you want to play your best, you want to get out there. But is there maybe um, an outlet 
or a, a way that we should look at this somewhat differently um, in, in how we introduce people to the game. And I guess that's really what I'm asking is here. Uh, you know, nothing wrong if you have aspirations of, of playing collegiately uh, or, or beyond. Uh, but for the average folk out there that maybe is never going to get to that level or that has no aspirations of getting to that level, um, just wants to get out there and have some competition but not feel like they're under the, under the gun, so to speak. Uh, Pete, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, are, are we maybe in a, in a situation in our industry at times where we're, we're kind of, you know, tightening up the reins a little bit um, to where we're actually pushing people away in some cases? What do you think? Well, you know, I, I agree a lot with what Peter was saying there. Um, you know, it's even looking at the team that, that I helped coach. I mean, how many in the last five years uh, that I've been working with the Missouri women's team, we have one that's playing, actually two that are playing professionally. So, you know, it's a very small number. But that program mm-hmm. itself does more to develop the, the team members as students and people along with the golf. So they have a, they have the two main coaches do a great job of making sure that, that, that they're well-rounded and they're ready for life when they're done versus just playing golf. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think what we should do overall, um, you know, that's a big question. Um, you know, so much of, so much has been, been changed in the way that, you know, all sports are done, you know, from where it was, competitions mm-hmm. of ones wins and losses and now it's you know we we shouldn't keep score we you know nobody you know the whole industry has kind of kind of gotten turned upside down and so yeah i think there should be more overall development i think long term um you know i have several juniors that i've done that with and, and i think peter's exactly right you got to look at their skill level you got to look at their support system you got to look at their goals what do they want to do where do they want to go and then you have to ask, you know, are they willing to put in the work, but put in the work so you don't, you know, from 7 to 10, you burn them up and then they don't want to play anymore. So, you know, you have to be careful along that that run, too. And I think, too, from an overall scoring, you know, system, I mean, you're looking at, you know, very few sets of, of, of tournaments that, you know, coaches are going to look at. I dealt the same thing with volleyball where you're looking, you know, if you're not going to the national qualifiers, collegiate coaches aren't looking at volleyball players. They don't look at high school matches, literally pay attention. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's nothing. I mean, you have to go to the big time, you know, tournaments in order to get recognized. Otherwise they're not even going to look at you. And so I think to a certain extent, maybe we've gone to where we're, we're trying to push them towards too many big things, too many events, too many tournaments, too much practice and, and and I see a lot of it to where, you know, these kids are playing time and time and time again. And I just wonder in the back of my head, you know, they're 11, 12, 13. When are they just going to look at the parents and say, I'm done. This is too much. Mm-hmm. Too much. I played, you know, Legion baseball, 63 games in the summertime. Holy crud, that was too much. That's a lot of baseball. <laughs> you know, that's why I turned to golf. Yeah, I, I stopped playing baseball. <laughs> So I can see that. Yeah, point you know, of it, you know. So, yeah, I think there. I, I think to go back to John's point, though, I think there has to be really a, a, a balance, though. I mean, you know, you you don't want to get in a situation where, uh, you know, because obviously, if you're playing, uh, you know, competitive golf and especially at a higher level, um, you know, there, there's going to be pressure. You have to be able to handle that pressure. And if you, you know, if you if you turn it and sort of flip it the opposite way. Um, 
you know, then you're not going to get as high of a caliber player. But I think it, 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 it goes to the individual. I think, you know, we have to first see, okay, what is it that they want to do? And if they want to play, see, one of the things that I think is sort of coming to realization, and this is part of the reason why you're seeing a, a more aggressive programming, uh, you know, here in the United States and why you saw it up in Canada, as, as Peter mentioned, is I think what, what the, the powers that be, if you will, recognized with, with some of the younger international players is they were being conditioned, you know, as, as the point was made earlier, uh, you know, out of 100 players, they might see three or four or five that sort of have risen to the top, and that's what they're going to focus on, and they want them to be, uh, you know, they, they want them to be, you know, nationally recognized and so forth. So there's a lot of pressure put on those individuals, and we don't have that currently right here now. It's, it's you know, the cr- cream rises to the top on their own fruition, not because of pressure, you know, in a national program. Um, and, and sometimes that might, might be uh, not necessarily advantageous. So it's a, it's a very, you know, tight line that we, we have to sort of walk on and we have to decide, okay, do we open up things a little bit differently um, and, and make it more accessible, uh, you know, to individuals that don't necessarily want to go down that route of college or, or, or beyond um, and just make it accessible um, but at the same time, we don't want to, you know, pull back the reins too much um, with some of our higher caliber players because if they're going to compete internationally, um, they've got to be able to, to, you know, they've got to keep it together um, and, and be willing to go through some pressure uh, in order to be competitive because the truth be known, many of these international players, um, they're prepared to do that. I mean, we've had some of the ones, uh, you know, through the Symmetra on – uh, the women of golf with Cindy and I, and many of the players, point blank, uh, I mean, they work their their tails off, uh, morning, noon, and night, and that's a priority for them. So it, it's a tough call, uh, you know, really which way to go. I mean, I think there'd be some advantages of having a national golf team, but there could also be some disadvantages. So it, uh, I think you guys all raised some some equally uh, valuable points on on both sides of of the coin. Um, I, I look at it this way as I think overall, um, I think that we have to find a system that will work and open the door for everybody. I think it's about accessibility. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes some of the uh, avenues that we currently have available are not necessarily available to everybody, even though they can still have that opportunity. Um, it's just not realistic. And that's why I mentioned earlier, you know, in hockey, as an example, we had things uh, like house leagues and that were more entry level. And, you know, for those players that maybe didn't have a real high caliber game, but still wanted to get out there and have some fun. So there's a lot of different opportunities, um, you know, I think for everybody. But uh, interesting discussion. Uh, I think everybody uh, brought some great, uh, great points to, to tonight's uh, panel discussion. And uh, I appreciate it very much. And, and actually had a couple more questions, but they were kind of answered throughout, uh, uh, throughout the evening. So I will, uh, I will skip past those, but um uh, great discussion, guys. I appreciate it very much. So, as always, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to uh, uh, to share with the listeners if they want to reach out to you, and and the best way to do that. And we'll go in order again. Uh, John, if you want to start off. Well, first of all, Ted, I want to uh, wish everyone out there, all the listeners, a happy Thanksgiving. And, and Peter and Pete, I really enjoyed tonight's discussion, and um, I really think that a lot of great points. And one thing, if you are looking for entry-level stuff, the PGA Junior League is a great way to get your kids started. Mm-hmm. 
uh, boy or girl. Uh, it's a great way to get them started. But if you want to uh, follow me, um, I'm working with Golf Tips Magazine, uh, and my Fairways to Heaven uh, feature is, uh, is out each month with that, or each bi-monthly with that. So um, I'm really excited about that. And, Ted, again, thank you for letting me do that. Um, and if you want to follow me on social media under John Decker Golf Instruction, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube. My book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, is sold on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com. Thanks again. Perfect. appreciate it. Um, Peter, uh, go ahead. Best way for folks if they want to reach out. Yeah, as always, thanks for having me on, Ted. And, again, and like John said, uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope it's uh, happy and safe. Um, and, John and, and Pete, thanks, thanks for sharing some time with me. But, uh, people like to reach out. Uh, they can reach me at um, NPI Coach on Instagram is my most uh, used. I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, my email is peter at gonpi.org. And our website, if you'd like to check out more about Northeast Performance Institute, which has uh, four, soon to be five locations in Connecticut, um, they can visit our website at um, gonpi.org. And thanks again, Ted. I appreciate it. And last but not least, uh, Pete. Again, thanks, Ted, for, for having all of us on, and, and Peter and John and enjoy the conversation as well. Um, currently, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E for the plane. But uh, starting in 2021, I'm going to be joining forces with uh, St. Louis Golf Lessons so I'm just taking a little bit different avenue, but uh, they're still doing the same things. But, um, yeah, playing civil golf for now, and any uh, future contact information will come out of there. So thanks again. Perfect. Well, guys, uh, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. And as always, I appreciate you uh, uh, bringing your best to the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, thanks for an interesting discussion tonight. I think uh, hopefully the listeners learned a lot and, and um, will help them uh, – navigate uh, whatever path or route that they choose to take. And uh, I appreciate your thoughts, guys. Uh, have a safe and happy holiday, and I'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Ted. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that was uh, John Decker, Peter Agazarian, and Pete Buchanan on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, just a few moments, I'll bring on my guest, uh, Joshua Jacobs, uh, from TGA Premier Sports. He's the uh, CEO. But I want to... Uh, let you in on a, a really great new product that's uh, just hit the market here just recently called Golf Nicks. Uh, for those of you that subscribe to uh, uh, Golf Tips magazine or uh, uh, have picked a copy up in the newsstands, may have seen uh, there was an ad advertisement for Golf Nicks, and that's G-O-L-F-N-I-X. Uh, there was a small uh, half-page advertisement that was in uh, the latest issue uh, that's currently out at newsstands uh, uh, of uh, the Golf Tips magazine. And uh, I'm going to play this short clip and let you learn a little bit more, and then I'll tell you about an exclusive offer just for you. 2020 hasn't been exactly what any of us expected, but the one thing we have in common is the need to cleanse and stay clean. Doctor recommended and approved, Golf Nix is a hand and skin cleanser that can be used daily. Clean your hands, shoes, clubs, your golf cart, and use it around your home. It leaves no sticky residue and moisturizes your skin. Keep clean and avoid those pesky germs that exist all around us today. Golf Nix is your natural solution to keep clean. Check it out at golfnix.com. That's golfnix.com. 
All right. And as I mentioned, I've got a, a special promotion uh, for those of you that uh, are interested. It's a great, great product. Um, the website is golfnix.com, and that's G-O-L-F-N-I-X. And you go on, there's a, a variety of different packages. Uh, there's a hand uh, sanitizer or cleaner, if you will. Uh, there's also uh, some product there if you want to uh, you know, clean your, your clubs and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but if you go there and uh, check out, if you enter uh, the following promo code, you'll get 10% off uh, your entire order. And the promo code is GOLFTIPS2021. That's GOLFTIPS2021. If you enter that promo code at checkout, uh, you receive 10% off your order. It's a great product. Uh, what's very unique about this product, there are obviously a lot of uh, hand sanitizers and other uh, sanitized products that have come out. But what's really unique about this is, is there is no alcohol, it's non-toxic, and it's environmentally safe. So go to golfnix.com, uh, purchase yours today, and uh, again, at checkout, enter promo code GOLFTIPS2021 to receive a 10% discount off your order. All right, as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be joined here in just a few moments uh, by my very special guest. Uh, but before I bring him out, uh, let me uh, also remind everybody uh, that we are live uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, you can find us by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. And uh, as I said, we're live on Thursday evenings. But for some reason, if you're not able to join us, uh, if you go to that link and uh, scroll down to the on-demand section after each of the episodes, uh, the programs are auto-recorded, so you can listen to the recorded version uh, in its entirety. And if you've missed an episode, uh, you can go back and check out some of the earlier uh, broadcasts as well. Uh, you can also find us, for those of you that subscribe to Morning Read, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with that if you follow golf at all, uh, you'll find both Golf Talk Live and my other podcast, uh, The Women of Golf, which of course I uh, co-host with my good friend LPJ professional Cindy airs on the blog network as well every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, on that network and uh, that is also available uh, on morning read as well under the podcast section so both women of golf and golf talk live you'll find uh, the most recent episodes uh, there uh, of course uh, anywhere uh, great podcasts uh, can be heard. Uh, we're also available on those places as well, Spotify, CastBox, uh, and of course in uh, iTunes, uh, the, uh, uh, we're at the Apple uh, Podcasts section. You can find us in there and some other places as well. Um, and you'll hear more of that at the end of the, uh, the program uh, in the outtakes. But, um, but anyway, so... Uh, lots of great places to uh, to pick up the show. Uh, and just a, another a quick note, uh, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, if you're tuning in a little bit later on, uh, next week, uh, being that it's uh, Thanksgiving week, uh, there will be no shows. Either the uh, Women of Golf or Golf Talk Live uh, will not be aired next week. So that's a perfect time uh, if you're looking for some great golf program to listen to is to go to blogtalkradio.com enter in both either uh, Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf, uh, depending on which you want or both, uh, and you can go to the on-demand sections in, in uh, both of those categories, and you can listen to some of the earlier broadcasts, including uh, this week. So uh, check it out. Be sure to, uh, to uh, save it as a favorite, 
um, you'll get notification. If you uh, follow along, if you go to the main page and you click on uh, add it as a favorite, uh, you'll actually get notifications uh, in your inbox of upcoming shows and that. So it's a great way to do that. Um, but as I said, if you're a subscriber to Morning Read, uh, you can check us out there as well. All right, my, my uh, very special guest, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. And then as soon as he comes on board, uh, I, will, uh, I will bring him on. I'm just waiting for him. But uh, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Joshua Jacobs, the CEO of TGA Premier Sports, uh, he is joining me this evening. He has uh, been doing this for, for quite some time. Uh, it's a franchise business model for introductory and recreational junior golf programs that specializes in after-school, camp, and family programs. Uh, TJ is in 32 states, and over 900,000 students uh, have registered for its programs. Uh, Joshua's uh, uh, been named by Golf Magazine as one of the top 40 most influential people in golf under 40 and recognized as one of golf's innovators by Golf Inc. Uh, he is currently a consultant with the PJ of America working on the PJ Family uh, Cup Initiative. Uh, he graduated from Emory University uh, with a degree in economics and business and a minor in history uh, and also where he played varsity golf and club tennis. So uh, he specializes in uh, junior golf and uh, that was why, if you hadn't noticed, uh, why I had uh, some discussion about junior golf uh, in uh, our earlier Coach's Corner panel. So uh, when Joshua comes on, we will bring him on and uh, continue that segment. Uh, also, let me remind everybody, too, uh, about Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, a great way to, if you're, or if you want to gift a subscription, uh, you can go to golftipsmag.com. That's golftipsmag.com. And under the uh, subscription area, uh, you have an option. You can subscribe as a new subscriber. Uh, you can renew uh, if you're, you're a current subscriber and you've uh, been notified of, of a renewal. You can actually go and do it right on the site. Or uh, with Christmas just around the corner uh, or maybe even a birthday, you might want to give that golfer in your family a subscription uh, uh, to the magazine. You can actually gift a subscription. Um, so you can do that right from the site as well. Uh, also, uh, just to add on there, um, previously, uh, all that was available was either a print subscription or a print and digital subscription. But now, uh, for those of you that are a little bit more uh, tech savvy and would just prefer a digital version only, that is now available as well. Uh, if you go under subscribe uh, and you will see under the form there that uh, the digital only version is now available as well. So um, a little option for everybody. Uh, you can get multiple years. You can subscribe for one year, or you can get two-year subscription if you want to save a little extra money as well. So uh, you can get print, print and digital, or pr uh, digital only. Uh, so it's up to you. But if you're looking to get somebody a great gift, uh, Golf Tips Magazine uh, just might be the ticket. So go to golftipsmag.com. All right, I see Joshua is ready, and I've already uh, introduced him to all of you. So I'm going to bring him on, and we'll uh, start uh, the second half of the show here on Golf Talk Live. Good evening, Joshua. Welcome back. Hey, thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming on and, and joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. No, you're very welcome. It's great to be back on, and uh, congrats on all the success with uh, the magazine. I, well, thank you. I was uh, just uh, sharing a little bit of that with, uh, with the listeners, and I'm really, really excited about it. So, 
let's talk about um, first and foremost. Um, and I know this is not specific order and and what we want to talk about, but talk about a little bit of the impact that COVID has had on both junior golf and also on the programs, just to let everybody kind of get an idea of what's been happening there. And then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Well, I think overall as an industry, COVID has certainly brought increased demand to junior golf. Uh, first of all, it's one of, I think, the two sports that are best, best positioned during COVID as well as, uh, you know, when we're, when we're hopefully out of the woods here uh, with COVID. And uh, I, I think you're starting to see uh, also a little bit more of an emphasis on junior golf at the courses. It, it, it can go both ways. Uh, on the one hand, you're hearing courses are obviously more busy than ever. But at the same mm-hmm. time, there's also more demand and more people are asking to play, get involved, learn. And I think you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of those people being, being juniors. And so courses are being more inviting. The tee times may be spaced out more. But, uh, but I think that you're seeing more of a, a welcoming, open-armed approach to, to junior golf. Uh, as, far as, as far as we're concerned, uh, TGA... Yeah, we we struggled, uh, especially in the spring spring session, because, you know, our bread and butter is that introductory level, the bottom part of the pyramid where we bring golf into schools and community centers. And we were we were shut down. So we had to morph pretty, pretty quickly and evolve the programs from being at schools and community centers and, and, you know, every everywhere other than green grass to green grass facilities as well as other places in the community that we could uh, run our program. I think that's what makes TGA unique is that our program is adaptable anywhere. And when it came to summer camps, we actually, we saw a huge uptick in our summer camps. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of our franchises uh, beat their largest summers ever by 50%. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish and optimistic about golf now uh, and, and in the future. Yeah, I, I'm as well. well. We'll talk about some of that uptick uh, a little bit more in a, in a, in a few moments. But um, so let's go back a little bit um, to sort of when when things you know first came to mind to you. How did you come up with the idea to create um, obviously TJ, but particularly in a franchise model? What was the thought process behind that? Um, and it's not just limited to golf, by the way, and we'll, we can talk about that as well. Uh, you obviously have uh, a lot of other sports as well, tennis, uh, even cheerleading. Uh, now you've sort of expanded flag football and, and floor hockey and so many other things. So it's not just golf, but uh, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more about golf here, but, um, but feel free to, to, you know, to include some of the others. But, uh, so how did you come up with this idea, and, and, and why do you think it was, uh, was sort of the right timing to do that? Well, it was back in 2003, and, and the, the mantra back then was uh, kids should not be charged to learn golf, and golf should not be uh, learned anywhere else other than green grass facilities, even though every other sport was against, uh, kind of against the grain in that realm, where Every other sport existed at schools. They existed throughout community centers. And so golf wasn't really on the menu of activities. And in 2003, 
<clears throat> my little sister was picking after school programs at a school in LA and there was no golf. There was almost every other sport, but there was no golf. And my mom was the head of the PTA and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about, you know, trying to bring golf to the school? And the next thing you know, we were in 25, then 50 schools in the LA area. And we were running green grass facility camps and, and family programs. And we started getting calls from around the country. We were getting calls from PGA professionals, LPGA professionals, and entrepreneurs who were saying, hey, how are you doing this? Um, and, and, and what is the impact on the industry? What can be the impact on green grass? Uh, what can be the impact on, on you know, my revenues? What, what can I make doing this? And, you know, you, I, I think in a lot of ways in business, you got to be in the right place at the right time. And we were very fortunate right. in the sense that we were just very fortunate that it, it, had, it had not come around yet. And we evolved our curriculum from a single level to a multiple level to adding in education components and character development and life lessons. And we were the first group to add STEAM. And my mentors pretty much said, hey, look, I think you've got something here because it's not being done really anywhere. And people are calling you up asking for it. So this is kind of screaming for a franchise opportunity. And uh, just mm -hmm. as you had mentioned, we, we did morph in other sports. We, we, we franchised first golf in 2007, and then we did tennis in 2012. And we've, we've added team sports in 2000, uh, 2017, but golf and tennis still remain 96% of the business. The, the model is truly special and unique for individualistic right. sports. So um, yeah. the team sports were more to compliment, but, you know, golf has always been the catalyst. It's been the passion, and that's really where, uh, where our heart lies. Yeah, and let me just for the, for the listeners just kind of give them a little bit of the numbers if you if you don't mind. Um, so the TJ franchises uh, can really be found in more than 77 markets across uh, 32 states, uh, as well as internationally in Canada, as you mentioned. Uh, and its continued growth has impacted more, as, as I mentioned uh, before you came on, uh, more than 900,000 youth and made these sports available to 1.75 million families through its education-based uh, programs uh, and, of course, the TJ Sports Foundation, which uh, provides access for all children's and, uh, children excuse me, and promotes uh, the physical, educational, social, and character-building uh, elements of these sports. And you guys are on target as I understand, to register its 1 million student by 2021. Would that yeah, be we pretty were, accurate? Uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were actually on pace to do it this fall, <laughs> and uh, COVID unfortunately intervened. So we, uh, we, we've pretty much had to push that back uh, almost nine months. So we're, we think we'll probably get it at the end of the next summer, um, but that's the way the ball bounces, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and obviously – you know, we'll talk about in, in a moment some, uh, you know, as you started out earlier about some of the uptick that, that golf has seen. Um, um, but, but I want to ask you, because what's really interesting about this is, you know, most people understand uh, what a franchise is, um, but maybe explain a little bit um, about how the model works uh, for somebody that's interested in a TGA fran franchise. How does it work for the owner? Uh, and how do they, you know, what do they do and how are they bringing uh, golf to the kids? So the model, 
works and we've created a turnkey business solution to bring golf into public and private schools, mainly elementary, some pre-K, some middle school, but really our sweet spot is that elementary age. So we provide all the tools, all the support, sales, marketing, HR, and admin to programs, partner with those locations, execute the programs, market them to the, the base, market them within the school, We've got an entire back-end CRM, CMS system to communicate with the customers. And then from there, you are looking for partnerships within, the, uh, within your community at local golf courses um, to run more recreational programs, camps, uh, clinics, maybe some leagues, uh, some family events. Because obviously, once you get a kid involved in the sport, a junior golfer, uh, it certainly opens up the door for you to communicate with, with, with their parents, with the adults. So they're, during this time, families are looking for activities to do together, and the, uh, the adults certainly want to spend time with the children. So we, we're seeing more and more of those programs. But it, it runs the gamut, everything from training coaches to uh, hiring them, onboarding them, retaining them to the curriculums. Everything is basically – there for you. What I like to say is, you know, we're going to build the house, we're going to put up the walls, but ultimately you're going to to decorate the walls with your personality, mm-hmm. with with what your hopes and dreams are, with running your own business and being your own boss and caring about golf in your community. So it's uh it's it's flexible and it, you know what it how we're bringing golf to the kids it's accessible it's breaking down barriers of entry into the sport you know it's breaking down the transportation barrier it's getting clubs in these kids hands it's creating the passion whether it's for the kids or the entire family and you know that that to me is what the golf industry has always struggled with it's always struggled with customer acquisition um golf does an amazing job at retaining their customers um and COVID actually i think has helped with the customer acquisition challenge that the golf industry has faced. So for us, we're kind of solving that and, and bringing it to the kids um, by literally bringing it, bringing programs to where the kids are. Yeah. And that's important because, you know, I just want to touch on real uh, quickly here, you know, since you had mentioned it and again, um, you know, one of the things with with golf, we, we've been very, very blessed, and I've said this probably 100 times now uh, over the last uh, several weeks, but golf has really received what I would call a booster shot in the arm um, as as a result of COVID. And, and I certainly don't want to take away from, uh, you know, some of the, the struggles and the tragedies, of course, that many people have, have, um, have been feeling out there uh, over these last several months. But golf, uh, again, has that sort of built-in social distancing, if you will, and uh, many courses, uh, many instructors have have seen, you know, a, a substantial uptick in their, you know, their lesson, uh, you know, T performance, and and courses have, have seen a flood to it. So uh, it, it's very very good. It's going to be interesting to see what the industry, how they react as, you know, COVID COVID sort of gets dealt with and and moves, you know, uh, uh, hopefully very quickly away. It's going to be interesting to see what happens then. All of these new people that have come in, 
Um, you know, are they going to stick around or are they, you know, going to go back to something else? And this was just something because they had nothing better to do. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they react. Um, so what, what I want to ask you is, is this, um, Joshua, with respect to that, you obviously have developed some very key components, uh, in, in being able to, uh, create some successful junior programs. You've had a, a crop of of new ones, if you will, that have come to the game, you know, through COVID and, and just wanting to be able to get out parents wanting to, uh, you know, get access as well. Um, so what is some of the, the successful key components to your junior program that have helped to make you guys so successful? Well, I think first and foremost, it's our franchise owners. Um, you know, they're the boots on the ground. Uh, they're the one stewarding the brand. They're the one who's driving golf, the brand of golf in the in the community and creating the new customers and they all share uh, very similar traits and that is it, a little bit of what I mentioned before they, they care about golf number one it's it's their passion um, they care about their community they're self starters and they they recognize the demand that's there and the uniqueness of what we're doing so when you put all that stuff together with what we've created in terms of resources, I think that we've got a, a, a winning combination. Um, you, you hit on something before that, that I wanted to touch upon and you're hundred percent correct. You know, golf, golf saw, had a huge shot in the arm in terms of supply and mm -hmm. what are we going to do to sustain that? Um, it's, it's the, it's a big right. question that everyone's talking about and, you know, you know, knock on wood, what the, the vaccines will, uh, will, will do their job and, and, uh, you know, we'll learn more about this virus and, and we'll, we'll come through as a society, which I believe. Um, but it's not mm -hmm. the disposable income, the time that people have, the flexibility, will it still be the same? I, I think that there's going to be an increase from where it was pre COVID, but I don't know if it's going to be at the levels that it is now. I think it comes down to three elements to sustain the supply, and that is communication, value proposition, and innovation. If we can mm -hmm. find a way to consistently communicate with the new golfers and keep them engaged with the sport, I believe that we have a really good chance at, at sustaining them. Um, value proposition you know, that's, that's across the board, whatever these, whatever the new golfers are looking at, whether it's equipment or the tee times they're purchasing, um, the lessons they're purchasing, if they continue to see a, a high value proposition, then, then they're going to stick with it because they're vested right now. They, they, you know, by, by starting to play or play more, they're becoming more vested. Mm -hmm. All of us as avid golfers know that. And then the last one is, yep. is innovation. Um, innovation, I think, especially for um, that elusive 25 to 45-year-old age group um, in the sport. If we can innovate and come up with products that can continue to captivate and engage that age group, I think that we're going to be in really good shape. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's really going to be the key. Um, you know, we all love traditional golf. We all love getting out there and, and whether walking or, or, you know, driving in the, the golf cart. But 
the younger generations coming up and even up to, as you suggest, up to, to 45, they're also looking for something different. Um, you know, we had the introduction a few years ago with Top Golf, um, which was, you know, a big hit with uh, especially the younger generation. Uh, it, it, it certainly, you know, is not in par with your traditional uh, golf at this point. But I know that they're, uh, you know, uh, Callaway now, of course, is, has uh, jumped on board and they've got some big plans. And, you know, that's uh, going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But they recognized that golf is um, also an entertainment uh, opportunity as well. Um, and there are others out there as well that are, are doing different things. But yeah, you, we, we have to be, I think, more creative because one of the, the, the concerns that I have, and this happens unfortunately with so many businesses uh, uh, or industries, let, let's say, that they become complacent and where you know opportunity spikes, as you will, during this COVID where uh, you know, golf has, has seen a, a substantial rise in play. Um, but when things kind of, you know, peter off a little bit, you know, are we going to be in a position to, uh, to engage uh, these people even further? Or are we just going to, you know, sort of rest on our laurels? So there's a lot of questions a lot of people are asking right now is how do we sustain uh, this development? Um, you know, we don't suddenly go out rushing and, and, you know, building a hundred new golf courses um, that ultimately end up getting closed down. Um, so we have to be very careful. And I think in how we approach this. So one of the things that I really like about what you do, um, Joshua, is this uh, earlier on my program, I had a panel discussion. We talked about uh, junior golf and, you know, one of the things that I really like about what you're doing is you're making it accessible for everybody, um, whether you're a high caliber junior player or, you know, somebody that just wants to, to you know, kind of start out, uh, it's accessible to everybody and at a very entry level and where they choose to take it from there is really up to them. So as you see, you know, your franchise model developing and growing, um, there's also going to be challenges as well to keep that fresh and innovative and new. What are some of the challenges do you think? Um, and what are some of the other opportunities for junior golf um, that you're able to do through your program? A good question. Um, I, I think for us, the challenge that we're going to have is the, the bureaucracies uh, moving forward in, in safety and, and COVID, we very much like what you said about golf was already, I don't want to say it was already kind of COVID proof with social distancing. Our, our programs were very right. similar. Um, we, our curriculum is station-based learning that, you know, helps teach kids how to, how to self-regulate. And we had our, our curriculums were already set up for, for, for COVID. And so we were able mm -hmm. to, translate that curriculum no matter where uh, no matter where we had to go to um, the challenge for junior golf as a whole is going to be creating a seamless player pathway there there are really mm -hmm. three three parts to the pyramid for any golfer but especially with junior golf as, as these kids are starting and that's introductory recreational and competitive and mm -hmm. Obviously, the introductory programs uh, are are the base of the pyramid. There, the that's the customer acquisition, and from there, you're building passion, you're making it fun, and you're you're getting these 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 kids and and their families to that next step, which is recreational. And recreational 
predominantly, in, in, in my opinion, takes place at golf courses. And mm-hmm. the, the challenge that we're, we're going to have there is, you know, simple supply and demand, and it's going to be, from a junior golf perspective, uh, these golf courses, um, they're bottom line oriented. And so right. I think that there's larger dollar signs that people see. Um, oftentimes our industry uh, tends to be a, a little bit in, in humbly uh, short-sighted rather than long, long-term <laughs> vision. And right. well, no, I mean, I, we could, we could certainly cite some examples, but it's uh so, so we've got the owners or the management companies who are, are looking at that. And the big opportunity that we have, in, in my opinion, because once you get to the golf course, it's, it's really about the PGA and LPGA professionals. They're the gatekeepers. And right mm-hmm. now, for the most part, they're viewed as being very transactional uh, as it relates to the golf course. And we need to get them to be more – more value driven and, and the expert guides once the consumers get to the golf course, they need to connect with the whys that, that people have, whether they're juniors or whether they're adults. And I think it's heading to that direction, which is fantastic, but in doing so, I think that's going to really open up the door for more junior golfers at the recreational level. And from there, I mean, the pros already have the training and the wherewithal to develop a junior's game. So from there, mm-hmm. you're going to be creating that funnel of, of golfers to the top of the pyramid, which is competitive. And if, these, if those three parts of the pyramid can work seamless, seamlessly, then I think everybody wins. Yeah, and you raised some some really interesting points, you know, too. And and I agree with you, you know, as far as the industry is concerned. I mean, they're looking at the bottom line. Um, you know, when you're dealing with some of the the golf courses, you know, they're looking at what what it's costing them to, you know, to keep the the operation going. And you know, I'll give you a good example. And I won't get into specific names, but there was an area in South Florida uh, that had a very successful first tee program, uh, which is you know uh, has been uh, has for the most part been pretty successful over the years. Um, but one of the, the concerns that they were having was accessibility to golf courses. Um, a lot of the golf courses in their particular area, and again, I'm not going to name it, um, presented them a challenge. Um, they didn't want to accommodate the first tee program, not that they didn't support it, but again, it was conflicting with members and, you know, times and so forth and that. So they had to kind of hop around from course to course. So there was never any consistency one of the things that I've really thought about, and I, and I go back to my own childhood, I'm just to give you an idea, I'm 56, so that gives you an idea, I go back a few years. Um, but when I was growing up and learning this game, you know, I played on, on what we refer to as either an executive or a par three course. I think what I would like to see is for the industry to be a little more aggressive in that area instead of building, not that I don't love these great, beautiful golf courses. But I would like to see more par three or executive style courses being made um, for a couple of reasons. First off, the overhead is considerably lower. Um, and most golfers, even uh, you know, older golfers, when they're first starting out, um, they can't play a 6,500 or a 7,500 uh, yard course. It just, it's not going to happen. They just don't have the skill level. So 
you know, I was taught on a par three course. That's where I learned, you know, got my golfing chops, if you were. And then I, I grew uh, into something a little bit larger. What do you think about something like that? Do you see that as maybe being a way, uh, particularly from the junior golf standpoint, if there was more of that product available? I know there are lots around, but not as many as there used to be. What do you think about having that more, you know, shorter par three or executive style courses available uh, for uh, programs such as yours and, and even others? Well, I, I think it's a great point. Um, I, I certainly uh, echo your sentiment. I, I did the same thing to, to enter the game. I, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and I would take uh, a bus from uh, a bus down Ventura Avenue to go play a par three course that had a driving range and a, and a putting green out front called the, the course was called Weddington uh, golf and tennis. Um, unfortunately, I, it looks like they're going to shut the course down, but that's a whole nother ball. Game. Mm. Um, but uh, no, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. And, and you're starting to see there, there's a great company out there, operation 36 uh, in the junior golf space. Yeah. Well, it's actually in more of the introductory space, but I, I think that they're trying to cater more towards juniors uh it, it, it's kind of the same premise uh for us our most successful programs are run at par three or executive courses and on top of that if i could take it a step further you're mm -hmm. starting to see more initiatives that are turning golf courses into the type of courses that you're talking about so for example right uh, pga P, the new pga initiative pga family cup uh, it's, uh, these are events that families can participate, multi-generations of families can play together. And the premise behind them, whether an event or a series, is, is it's basically a par three, par three setup for nine holes. Um, and, and it's, that is ideal for all levels to play together or for mm -hmm. introductory programs to, to play together. So uh, I could not echo what you're what you're saying more. It's 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 needed. I I don't know the uh, the ins and the outs of creating more of those courses, um, but I do I do know that you can turn courses into the executive or par three type atmosphere that you're looking for. Yeah, and, and and the reason why I say that, uh, Joshua, is because, you know, obviously I, I grew up in that environment um, when I was first learning the game. But, you know, I look at so many courses, uh, and, and this is pre-COVID, that have struggled over the last several years. One of the, uh, you know, models, if you will, that has not been as successful, uh, and, and for a number of reasons, uh, management is one, but also uh, is uh, community uh, golf courses, and I don't mean public golf courses, but um, you know they they uh, throw up a community somewhere, and we're going to add as one of the amenities a golf course. Well, you know that was successful for a while, but that model's not as successful, and that's some of the courses uh, that have shut down quite a bit over the years, and because they're very expensive to maintain, they're resort style uh, type courses uh, with a community around it, but not everybody's playing golf, and you know, the memberships dwindle and so on and so forth. And, you know, not all of them were as accessible to the public. And, and I just look at it this way. It's, it's a big overhead. It's a big burden to that community. Um, and they're not really, you know, capitalizing on it. And this happens, you know, I especially see in Florida where a lot of these communities 
have these golf courses. They're not being fully utilized uh, any longer, and uh, but yet are unwilling to, uh, you know, to let the public in there uh, for obvious reasons. It's it's you know some cases it's a gated community, but so I would like to see more. Um, you know, as I said, those executive or par three courses kind of popping up, you know, around the nation, um, not just for the juniors, but as you pointed out, for, for families. I mean, what a great way to get exposed to the game uh, together as a family. Uh, time is also another issue as well. You know, we see a lot of, uh, you know, people are, are, you know, kind of uh, tapped in their time and they can't afford to play four and a half or five or in some cases even six hour rounds of golf. Uh, so that would help alleviate some of the slow play, I would think, as well. So what do you see, if any, changes to your programming and to your model as we move forward uh, in, in both uh, during COVID and in the future? Uh, how do you see, what changes do you see happening with, uh, with TGA? I see us being a little less reliant on on schools and community centers. Uh, and I see us uh, looking to engage the community more in, and looking for other spaces that we can execute our programs. Because they're, as I mentioned, the curriculum is already COVID proof, basically. Um, so mm-hmm. it's just a matter of finding space. We know the demand is there based on our conversation thus far. I think everybody knows the demand for golf is it's through the roof right now and the supply is increasing as well. Right. So I, I think for us, it's going to be adapting and staying patient because the schools and the community centers will certainly come back, but it's, it's a matter of being patient and learning from our customers, what they're looking for and where they would like us to execute programs because they're calling us to do so. It's a matter of, adapting it to each community and every every community is different depending on the the location around the country so if our franchise owners are going to be proactive and they're going to reach out to their customers they're going to learn these things and they're going to be able to execute and that's going to continue our ability to transition these students and these families to the golf course you're 100 percent correct in what you said before the the selling of golf, the selling of, of the golf brand is different than it was, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in my opinion, before COVID. There's, it's just a different yeah. sell to the people who are interested in it. And you, know, you could talk about the NGF and the latent demand for golf that we had. You know, I, I'm not, I wonder what, where it will be uh, come next year with all the increased uh, supply, but the, the sell is different. The value proposition is different. The, like you said, the time, the time that is spent playing golf is different. The who plays with you is different. It's becoming more family oriented, especially around the, the private, the private club sector. So mm-hmm. it's, if we can tailor our message to various utilizing the new, uh, the new value propositions, I, I think the industry is going to uh, going to be very successful. Yeah, I think it's a matter, you know, I think like many industries and, and golf, you know, certainly uh, is no different. I think it's a matter of adapting to an ever-changing global uh, climate. And I don't mean that in the literal sense of, of climate, but, um, you know, 
you, you have to be willing to adapt to change. You know, one of the things that has been, you know, as I just touched on a few moments ago, and, and you've mentioned as well, is, is slow play and, and time factor. Um, people's lives, and, and let's remove COVID for a second, because I know that has changed a lot. But, um, you know, pre-COVID, you know, people were busy. Some people were holding down a couple of jobs. Some people had, you know, careers that, that took them away. You know, we used to jokingly in, in golf years ago, uh, Wednesdays, you know, don't bother going and playing on Wednesdays because that's when all the doctors would play. Uh, well, that doesn't happen anymore. They're busy now. Um, so they're not getting out as, as frequently. So people are more, uh, you know, conscious of their time and unwilling to spend four to six hours out on a golf course. So they're looking for other options and this is something that the industry has to make adjustments and change with it. That doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of, uh, you know, the 18-hole golf courses uh, entirely or, uh, you know, we're going to shut down all of the, uh, the private member facilities and so forth or get rid of all of our resorts. But it just means we have to expand um, and add additional products and, and or services within golf um, that fits other needs than what typically or traditionally has been in, in golf. And... I see what you're doing is you're opening up an area of golf that, in my opinion, um, you know, really needed to happen probably even sooner than what when you came on board. But I'm grateful that you're here now, uh, you know, over this last, uh, you know, decade or so. Um, where are you looking to expand? You, you know, obviously here in the United States into 32 states and, and have multiple programs. Uh, you've also in Canada as well. Uh, are you internationally overseas at this point, or is this something that you're working towards? Where, where's the status as far as that's concerned? We're, we're certainly looking to expand uh, internationally, but we have a ton of opportunity for growth within the States, especially um, in the Midwest. Uh, that's really an area that we are queuing in on more uh in the coming years to, to expand on. So for us, we're, we're very strong on, on the coast. Uh, there's still a lot of opportunity uh, if people are interested mm -hmm. in franchises on the coast, but that's, if you look at a map, we're, we're very strong uh, on the coast and then down in the, in the, in the Southwest and Southeast. So we kind of, our franchises kind of make a U around, uh, around right. the, the U S um, but there's a lot of space that's open even within that within that U. But, but where we're looking to expand more is in the Midwest, and we're very uh, we're, we're positioned very well for that because we've we've created our programs to be done indoors or outdoors. So it really doesn't matter what the weather is is mm -hmm. is like during the uh, during the winter months. We can bring the program we can bring the program indoors. So it's, uh, it, it's certainly a lot of opportunity for us moving forward. Well, and I look at it this way, uh, being someone who's played hockey, if, uh, if, if my parents could, could drive me to hockey games uh, and, and, uh, and other winter sports, uh, they can certainly uh, get them to uh, one of your programs, even during some of the, the most uh, cold uh, days and, and uh, you know, wintry days. So, uh, having the fact that you're able to, to have an indoor uh, facility as well and, and, and run your program successfully. Um, let me ask you, Joshua, as you look back to when you first started this to where you are now, 
What has surprised you the most? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question. Um, what, what surprised me the most is the interest in, in, well, I think it's more of the uniqueness in what we're doing. It's the eye-opening mm-hmm. that people will do when they hear, wait, you're bringing golf to schools? How are you? How are you? How are you doing that? And mm-hmm. that's always been uh, that's that's always been our our, our, our repertoire. I, I it's it's funny. I have an article that's that's printed out on my desk, and it and it, it it's it's the title is mocked and misunderstood, and and it's kind of the premise behind it is. If, if people are mocking what you're doing or they don't quite understand it, then you know you're, you're on to something. And for us, that really tells the story of the last, you know, 15 years. Um, they, at first it was, well, you can't teach golf outside of green grass. And then it was, well, wait, wait a second here. How are you in 75 schools outside of Detroit and partnering with five golf courses and selling out camps week in and week out. It's so it's for, for <laughs> me, uh, that, uh, that would be, that would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's, you know, it's like any, yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, you know, it's really like with any, you know, business and, and venture, when you first start out, you're, you're uncertain, um, where things are going to go, how well it's going to be received. And, you know, I, I look back to when you first had come on the show and, and, uh, you know, in the earlier stages, uh, you know, there's, there's always, um, you know, a certain amount and I don't care how successful the programs are. There's always a little bit of angst. Okay. Well, is it going to, you know, is it going to flourish and develop as, you know, the way that I've envisioned it to do it. And, and obviously the, the, the short answer is yes. Um, and proof of that is, you know, with, with the numbers that you're talking about, here you are, you know, on the precipice of, of you know, hitting a, a million, uh, you know, juniors and, you know, nearly two million families that have been impacted thus far. Um, and, you know, it's, it's growing and growing. And, and you know, you've, you've touched into so many communities. And you're right, there is so much growth potential here in the U.S. alone um, without really going anywhere else. Um, that you still have to have to cover. So um, there's substantial, uh, you know, room for, for growth here. Um, well, and, and I it's think all, it's, the, you know, it's, go those ahead. Those numbers are all because of, because of our team at HQ and our franchises. Uh, it, as, as, as I said before, it's their passion for what they're doing and their drive to, to impact these communities through golf and, the reason why I like the franchise model is because we are as franchisor and franchisee, we are all in this together. I, I, I say that often in, um, in, in, in the confines of our, of our company. And what, what I love about it is everybody's vested to grow the sport. When you, obviously when you buy a franchise, you're, you're, you're certainly a passion play, um, certainly it can be monetary but for us it's a very it's a it's a low cost investment we're not brick and mortar you know the average franchise fee is only about twenty thousand dollars and it's a passion play and it's a lifestyle and and these these wonderful people are 
putting golf on the menu of activities for kids and, 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 and the menu of sports for kids at these young ages. And that's, that's really wonderful because as we all know, when we live and breathe it, the lifelong sport of golf provides immense benefits no matter what age you're at. And I, I simply, uh, I simply love the fact that the better that our franchises do, the better the industry does. And that's, that's the key for me and where I sit, um, you know, in, 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 a, in a very small piece of a very big pie. For a franchise or um, for somebody that's out there that's listening to the program tonight um, that's interested in maybe becoming a, a franchisee, um, what do they need to know? And what is it specifically that you're looking for in a franchisee? Well, I've listed the traits uh, of what we're looking for. They, they've got to be passionate about golf, about sports, about their community, about kids, self-starters. And, and, and what we provide pretty much takes care of the rest. So it's, it's really a wonderful group to be a part of. And mm-hmm. it, it's it, it it's growing, which is fantastic, even during this time. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, we've seen all walks of life take on a franchise. We've seen uh, gentlemen and ladies in their fifties and sixties. We've had we've had <laughs> I call them kids. Kids come straight out of college uh, who who's whose parents want them to do this, and, and certainly they're interested in it as well, and the parents help them get their start. Uh, we, we have people who take early retirement to do it. We have corporate executives who are starting a second career with this. It's, it, it really runs the gamut, and it's a, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. group of people who come together with, with really one, one purpose. And, yeah, certain people do better than others, but in the end – we're we're all in it for the kids in the community. And that's the opportunity to change a child's life, especially through lifelong sports, is it, it, it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and I don't say that lightly because there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on our franchises. I mean, if you think right. about it, if we're going to be the first touch point to the sport, especially to golf, if that child's neg- experience is negative, we have the potential to, to turn off that individual for quite some time. And, and so, I mean, luckily we don't, we don't have that very often, especially with what we've created, but it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of responsibility there for our franchises at Relatory, and I think that they relish that opportunity, and they, and they deliver. You know, it's interesting because, just to go to your point, is you're exactly right. You know, first impressions are everything, and so it does put, obviously, a lot of pressure on uh, your organization um, to be able to create a, a product, if you will, 
that leaves a, a lasting impression and obviously a positive one. So it's very important that obviously you get that right. Now, you've decided uh, at some point, as you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, obviously golf is sort of in the forefront and, and tennis, you know, is a, is a close follow up. Uh, but you've expanded into other areas. Um, why not just stick with golf and maybe tennis? Why expand into other sports? What was it that was your thinking there that, hey, this is a good model. I think we can get this into other areas as well. Was it just more or less to, to give a, a, a bigger variety? Uh, what was the thinking? Well, we saw we saw an opportunity because there were some some sports that were not being offered in the schools and community centers that we were servicing, sports that mm-hmm. were popular in those areas, and so we we thought we would expand there. And it's you know to be very forthright, it's it has not been as successful as golf uh, and tennis. Uh, for a number of reasons, and we've 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 such pulled back a little bit in that realm, uh, mm-hmm. but we we saw an opportunity, and and we, I think the key was nobody was really teaching those sports at an introductory level with academics, and we are mm-hmm. our whole program has the ability to infuse academics like STEAM, history, English into our programs. I mean, we have a we have a 60-page student handbook for each sport that we do that the kids get. And it's there were some challenges certainly with the with the schools um not wanting us to have that many programs even though they were unique. And so our mm-hmm. franchises and, and rightfully so, they wanted to stick with they wanted to stick with golf or and or tennis, whichever ones that they had at the time. So it right. was uh it was a great learning experience. Hey it, if if you don't try, uh if you don't try <laughs> you never get anywhere and I can tell you that myself right. and everybody else who's ever been in my position, you're going to fail more than you're going to su- succeed. And uh, I wouldn't call it a failure by any means, but it certainly has not been as successful as the individualistic sports that we run. Yeah, it's, you know, it, you're right. Everything's a trial and error. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, open other doors and uh, obviously those that ultimately become less successful than, you know, they can be phased out and that. And I think, you know, golf and, and tennis typically, uh, I think have always kind of been in the forefront uh, in, in a lot of uh, programming and, and so forth. So, I mean, they're, they're obviously where you want to, where you want to start. And then anything that sort of comes out uh, as a result of that afterwards um, is, is, is obviously a bonus and uh, you know, who knows what, what could develop through that. Um, but it, it, you know, as I, I've said to you before, and, and I'll say it again, I think what you're doing is is fantastic. I think you've got a great uh, business model, and I think you're doing something that I've said myself has been long overdue. Um, you know, I think the earlier we introduce uh, golf to you know the younger generation, the more likely um, they're going to be inclined to. Um, you know, want to continue to play it. You know, every other sport virtually, um, 
you know, is introduced at a very, very early age, at the elementary age. Uh, golf is one of those games that really is not for most people. And so, you know, by the time you hit 12, 13, 14 years old, if you haven't been introduced like like I was, I was very fortunate my parents introduced it to me. But uh, for a lot of kids, it's not the case. So there's, you know, there's no, you know, there's a missed opportunity, if you will. So you're really creating a, a huge void uh, for the industry by doing what you're doing. Having having said well, I hope, that, I hope I'm not. Uh, I, I hope I'm not creating a void. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm I'm solving the void. I'm, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all okay. right. My apologies. Uh, no, no, I, I heard you. I heard. No, I hear exactly what you're saying. And and you know the introductory level and you know those those first touch points. There's been a lot of programs that have that have come and gone and. I think the reason why we've been successful for so long is because we've created a model that is scalable and replicable. And you see some other junior golf initiatives out there that, um, you know, they've had, they've had ups and downs. Um, Mm -hmm. It's especially on the introductory side. Yeah. You have to have the business side of it is just as important as the curriculum. It's, it's even, in my opinion, it's even more important to have a, a business model, no matter whether you're for-profit, non-profit, whatever it is. And, you know, we, we have a non-profit foundation arm to go with our programs, so we have the ability to service uh, the entire community that we're in. It's not just pay-for-play programs. But if you don't have a business model and a delivery system that's scalable and replicable, you're, you're going to be dead in the water. Um, so we've been fortunate enough to, we've been fortunate enough to be able to morph that over time and to evolve it. So, you know, whether it's, uh, technology curriculum, uh, it really has run the gamut for us. We've, we've been able to innovate and, you know, hopefully we'll be here for, for a long time to come. Well, and I think, what really is happening is, and, and this is what the problem has been in the past with so many organizations, is that they've typically been, um, I think, very narrow focused. It's it's always been, you know, there's obviously a lot of great junior programs out there, but they've kind of been feeders into a highly, a more highly competitive uh, programming that that is available, and that's not to say that somebody that may be you know involved with TGA at some point may have aspirations of of taking golf a little bit further. But when you when you limit um, to a program that's simply okay, let's play competitive golf, let's get out there, let's you know develop and and so on and so forth. Um, after a while, it's not sustainable because it's not really uh, inclusive; it's more exclusive. And I think what you're doing is something that's created that's inclusive. So, you know, you might have 100 kids that come through, maybe three, four, maybe more, um, may want to develop into a more serious uh, golfing uh, career down the road, uh, which is great. Um, But you're introducing it to a lot of people who that may just want to go out sometime and just play recreational. Uh, It may be just introductory, as you said, um, but it's exposing them to a game that obviously we, we both enjoy, um, but without putting the added pressure of 
saying, well, if you're going to get into this program, you've got to do this, this, and this. So it really gives them the option of where they want to take it uh, beyond, uh, you know, your programming and that. And I think it's a, it's a great model. Um, which there, brings me yeah, to this point is – go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say no, go ahead. what you mentioned is spot on, and that is that there are a lot of organizations who have been around a long time who do great work in – various parts of that player pathway, whether it's introductory, recreational, and competitive. I mean, obviously, at the highest point for junior golf, you have, you know, the HAGA, the junior tour, where you know, that's where college scholarships are born. That's, that's, you know, if you get there, you know, you've, you've accomplished something. Um, you know, same thing goes for the other competitive tours that are, that are, that are wonderful out there. The the, the future champions tour. Um, Chris Meal mm-hmm. runs a great tour here out of Southern California. Um, certainly the other competition that comes to mind is, is drive chip and putt um, that, yep. that, you know, Augusta spearheads with the, you know, with the PGA, LPGA, USGA um, PGA junior league is, is wonderful as well. They're, they run the gamut mm-hmm. for, for league play for both, both recreational as well as competitive pathways. And you see more and more of, of those that are establishing themselves. And that's when you talk about, we need to have a seamless pathway. We need to get that information in parents' hands so that they know that there's a a place to go. And for me, myself, I'm actually launching another company soon. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be called college golf experience. And it's going to be a series of very high level camps with college coaches who, uh, Mm -hmm. who instruct them. Um, so we're going to be partnering with various coaches and various institutions uh, to bring, you know, for kids who are, you know, 10 to 18 who were aspiring to play collegiate golf, we're going to be creating right. transformational experiences for them at, uh, at various institutions. So it's, there, there, there's a lot of opportunity um, across the board with, with golf, with junior golf. It, the key is going to be, communication and education as we talked about earlier in the hour right yeah and you're exactly right and and i think that that is fantastic and um i'm excited to hear that you're expanding into another area that i think would be obviously beneficial to that age group particularly um let's let the folks know if if they're interested in learning more about the program but also uh, perhaps a franchise opportunity uh, what's the best way to reach out and get in touch? Uh, the information is at playpga.com uh, for, for people who are interested in, in getting their, their kids involved in programs. And then if you're interested in the franchise, it's, uh, it's franchisetga.com. Um, if I could, if we have a few minutes, I wanted to expand on something you sure. said. Uh, about South sure. Florida, it's, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, so I I grew up in in Los Angeles, but I would fly to uh, Lake Worth, uh, Florida, just outside of West Palm Beach every every holiday break. And my my grandparents lived on 54 holes in a, a development called uh, the Fountains, which uh, which which mm-hmm. you know you had alluded to earlier. You know there are these developments, and they had golf courses inside of them, and I, I came across an article. I haven't been there in, in a decade, and I came across an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was talking about the fountains and how their golf membership was was dwindling, and they ended up 
getting rid of one of the courses that happened to be my favorite. It was the North course and they were developing real estate. And I think, uh, I, I think you're, you're spot on in the sense, obviously it's very nostalgic to, to talk about and to, mm-hmm. to read about, but <laughs> you know, you're spot on in the sense that, you know, golf is, uh, you know, our populations increase exponentially. Uh, we are, Golf is going to be looked at, uh, you know, to the courses are going to have to be able to monetize themselves to show their value. And that's going to go all the way down to um, how people feel about it, how they're treated when they're there, what opportunities there are to play and to learn and different age groups. And so if we can maximize that, I think golf will have a fantastic ability to to sustain and and thrive here in the post-COVID future. Well, and I think that, you know, it's a different mindset, too. You know, years ago, um, that country club mindset was was something that, um, you know, was was more apparent. Nowadays, again, you've got a different generation coming up that, uh, you know, is interested in exploring other opportunities. So, you know, again, they've had to adapt as well. Uh, I know, you know, originally being from Canada, I know up in the Toronto area uh, a few decades ago, uh, some of the most exclusive clubs outside of Toronto um, had to change their business model because, again, you know, I hate to say it, but people pass on and, uh, you know, memberships sort of dwindle and, and, uh, you know, the next generation coming up, we're not as interested in, in having those memberships. So, you know, they've got to change um, the way that they approach things. And we, we have to, as I said earlier, we have to, as an industry, uh, we have to keep developing and changing. That doesn't mean we, you know, get rid of what, you know, we've had before, but it just means we have to adapt to an ever-changing market because otherwise, uh, you know, over the last uh, several years, you know, we've seen a lot of courses go under uh, for that very reason is because they were unwilling to adapt and change and, and make modifications. And, um, you know, it, it's a it's a changing uh, global economy. And, and um, you know, everybody is viewing things a lot differently than what they once did. So you have to be, um, you know, you have to be willing to look at, um, you know, uh, how we can change and, and grow this game. And uh, and then when we do get opportunities like what we're experiencing now with COVID, um, we have to find ways of, you know, okay, now we've got them here. What do we do to keep them here? What do we do to keep them interested? Um, and unfortunately, it may be something different than what we've done in the past. So these are conversations, as you said earlier, that we, we have to uh, continue to have and we have to um, be willing to reach out to our communities more and say, what is it that you want? You know, it's not so much about always what we want. It's, you know, within the industry, it's what, what do you want? What does the consumer want? How can we better appease their needs and, and their, their interests? So I think we'll, uh, we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to end it on that note. Uh, Cause we're running out of time, but Joshua, as always, I want to thank you and, and as you develop the, your other venture with the collegiate side of things, uh, I'd like to, you know, invite you to come back on and, and we'll talk about that as that uh, uh, becomes uh, uh, more apparent. And I have a few things I won't get into it now that uh, I think you might be interested in as well uh, with respect to TGA. And I will, uh, I will reach out accordingly uh, and that we can have a, a, another conversation off air at some point in the near future. But Josh, I want to thank you very much for joining me tonight uh, on Golf Talk Live. It's a pleasure as always, and, and I want to wish you much continued success and, 
and I'm glad to help out uh, uh, and spread the word for for your organization because I think it's uh, it's a great one. And um, thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much, Ted. Be well, okay? Happy holidays to you and your family. You too. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, thank you. All right, that was uh, Joshua Jacobs, the CEO of TGA Premier Junior Golf. Uh, I want to thank him and also uh, the guys off the Coach's Corner uh, panel, John Decker, Peter Egazarian, and Pete Buchanan. Uh, thanks, guys, for doing a great job on the panel. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there will be no shows next week. Uh, both of the shows will not air next week as we'll be observing the Thanksgiving holiday, but we'll return the first week of December. So God bless everybody. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.